Grab your scriptures this morning. Hope you have some with you, uh, either mobile or this old paper copy. The scriptures that we'll focus on will also be on the screen here beside me, but uh, invite you're going to have an opportunity to read something as a family or an individual where you are in just a little bit. You know, back in the fall, way back in the fall when we weren't isolated, I was flying home from Ontario and my brother-in-law took me to Pearson International Airport in Toronto and as I moved toward the check-in line, I realized that I had forgotten my wallet in his car. And I quickly called him and I ran to find out where he had stopped up the road from where he had dropped me off. And I, I ran up to him, grabbed my wallet, kind of disgusted with myself that I had made this mistake and headed back toward the line that had surely grown by now. And that's what I was trying to avoid. And all this kind of added to my weariness that day. I'd been gone for a few days. It had been a long number of days of conversations and planning and presentations. And I just wanted to get home. I missed my family. I missed KGF Church. And uh, though I was in the midst of the hustle and bustle of Canada's busiest airport, I was feeling alone and kind of nameless, actually. A little pre-COVID isolated. And that's uh, never easy for an extrovert. So I gazed at this long line of people and kind of feeling all these emotions. And then suddenly I heard Phil Wagler. And I looked around, I was like shocked. And, I, uh, and there stood a former colleague that I hadn't seen in a year. And I, I looked, uh, and I loved working with this guy. He was a, he's a great man. I had learned so much from him. And hearing him call my name in that moment was like comfort food. And he pulled me into line with him, and for the next couple of hours, we chatted and prayed and laughed as we waited for our flights. And my soul was refreshed and alive again. I know it's Easter, but one of our family Christmas traditions is the movie A Christmas Story. And it's about a young boy named Ralphie who wants a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas. And of course, everyone reminds him that if he gets this unwieldy weapon, you'll shoot your eye out. And you might have be familiar with this classic Christmas story. The heart of the story is the journey of childhood. Joys, trials, struggles of growing up. Christmas is just the nostalgic backdrop. Ralphie's ongoing nemesis is a bully named Scott Farkas, who regularly traps Ralphie and his friends in a back alley. And he's big and he's mean and he threatens and pesters them relentlessly. And one day Ralphie has just had enough and the this stress of school and frustrations and unmet dreams and the challenges of boyhood, they overwhelm him. And when Scott Farkas shows up, Ralphie blows up and he jumps the bully and he's punching and cussing with a vengeance, just wailing away on this bully as his friends are shocked and the bully can't withstand him. And really, Ralphie's still pounding away and he's staying, saying those things that no mother wants hear, to hear coming from the lips of their little angel when suddenly his mom actually shows up and she calls his name, Ralphie. And that snaps him back to reality. And she pulls him back from the brink. His sins are found out and his life is in full exposure to the one that he thought he could hide these darker realities from. And he looks at his mom and he collapses into her arms, bursting into tears. The place of judgment becomes the place of rest and peace and hope. Three decades after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he emerges from his hometown in Nazareth. God in the flesh experiences life as we live it. 
the trials of family, the tests of growing up, the confusion of political turmoil, the upheaval, upheaval of immigration and migration, the pain of life on this planet. And then around the age of 30, he steps from the shadows and he begins to teach and to perform miracles and he gains a following. And among those whose lives he changed was a woman from Magdala, a prosperous fishing town on the Sea of Galilee named Mary, which is why she's known as Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary is like all of us. She has her dark side. And we don't know exactly what was all in her closet, but it was significant because we learned this about her in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. Jesus traveled from one village, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Wow. Now Mary, her life was incredibly altered and brought to freedom by Jesus. And she became part of a group of women who traveled with Jesus and the 12 disciples kind of as their support team. Mary threw her time and her money and her energy into the ministry of Jesus. And Mary begins to live her life of gratitude as a sponsor of Jesus. And isn't that kind of what we all long to do? Don't we want to support that which has made a difference in our lives? If we track the places that we donate money, generally they're places that we have, that have touched us in some way or people who have touched our lives. And so she, Mary, and a group of other women, most likely, by the way, rather wealthy women, became part of the inner circle of Jesus' team. But then... The height of Jesus' popularity was last weekend, Palm Sunday. Do you remember Palm Sunday? Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the crowds declare him the Messiah, palm branches waving, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're saying he's the new king, the promise of King David come again. He's, the bringing, he's bringing into reality the dominion of the humble king who will bring peace to the ends of the earth. It's a cry of hope echoing through the streets of Jerusalem. All that, all that ailed the city would finally be healed and changed by the arrival of the Messiah. And imagine how Mary and her team felt. Can't get better than this, right? And then it all unravels and Mary descends into grief. By the end of the week, Jesus had been arrested under the cover of darkness in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of their own, Judas Iscariot, was the betrayer. The other disciples had run for cover, leaving Jesus, as he predicted, isolated and alone. Jesus, just recently the hashtag hope of the Jews, is condemned to death by a shouting crowd. Hashtag crucify him. Fickle human nature rises again. And Peter even, the leader of the 12 disciples, supported by Mary, openly denied even knowing Jesus. After a quick trial, Jesus, who delivered Mary from the oppression of her old life, is marched to the outskirts of Jerusalem, nailed to a Roman cross, publicly ridiculed in death before and by the very people he came to save. And imagine Mary's heart. Imagine the pent-up emotions and the shattered expectations. You've poured all that you had into this, and now it's over over. Jesus is dead. 
What does the future look like? Mary, however, is no quitter. If there's anything else we know about her, she is no quitter. She supported Jesus in life and she would support him in death. And so she follows to the garden tomb where Jesus was buried. She's determined to anoint his body for burial. Now here's where you're going to have a chance to read. John chapter 20 verses 1 to 10 will come up on the screen or you can look at it in your scriptures. Take somebody where you are and have them read this out loud right now to where you are. Follow along. John 20 verses 1 to 10. So, before it was even light, Mary had walked out, to the, out of the city to the garden where the tomb was. And then, <laughs> this is what's amazing, she walked back into town to share the desperate news that the body was missing. missing. Like, will the agony never end? Imagine, she walks all the way out to the tomb discovers the body's gone, walks all the way back again just to tell people that it's missing. Just this week, this, uh, a family that we knew, we know from Ontario, lost a 32-year-old son to a brain aneurysm. They couldn't even be with him when he finally died because of the hospital controls right now. And then he had to quickly be cremated. It was, it's just grief upon grief these days, isn't it? Well, that was Easter morning for Mary. Grief upon grief, bewilderment upon confusion, agony upon rapidly spinning catastrophe. Peter and the other disciple in, in John's gospel, whenever you see that other disciple or the disciple Jesus loved, that's John speaking. So Peter and John, they scurry off with Mary Magdalene and Mary, and Mary Magdalene is left. She's isolated on her own, isolated in her grief. And maybe we can more closely identify with Mary in this Easter of isolation. Generally, Easter weekend's full of travel, right? People, it's a, it's a long weekend and sometimes so busy that the real transformative, eternal, eternal shaking event of this day gets lost. This year, we're isolated with Mary in the garden. Perhaps we're more ready than ever to understand and ponder the distractions, the soul wrenchings, the restlessness, the transgressions that sent Jesus to that desolate and undeserved cross. Sin is monstrous and we are dead apart from a cosmic act to make new life possible. Let me ask you a question. 
What, what has been exposed in you during this isolation? What addictions are enslaving you? What ways of relating are those closest to you enduring? What fears and anxieties swirl? What cynicism or callousness even pour out of you? What idolatries or misplaced priorities are being exposed? See, Mary was with her grief in isolation. What are you with? This is a necessary and perhaps it's a scary question. Because though God works through his people as a community, the amazing ecclesia, as Ephesians has been teaching us, we each stand before our creator alone, as Mary did in her grief. This season of isolation leaves us with ourselves in perhaps disturbing ways. When all I've hoped for, when all I've relied on, when all I've expected from life is stripped away, when mortality is daily in view, when my buttons are pushed, when my habits are revealed, when my soul is tried, who am I? What do I cling to? Whose voice do I need to hear? Well, listen to what happens next in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and, and I'll get him. Now think about how funny that is. How was this woman going to go carry a dead body on her own? And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't, don't hold on to me, for, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what had, that he had said these things to her. Now, perhaps we miss how crucial and fantastically transformative this moment is. In the ancient world, including the Jewish world of the New Testament, the testimony of a woman was not accepted in a court of law. Many would still accuse Christianity actually of being against women. And it must be confessed that this at times has been true, but that is not actually what the Bible reveals. And where that has been the case, Christians have been wrong. From the very beginning, the gospel elevates women. The chosen and adopted, the heirs of the Father's kingdom are men and women without distinction, as Ephesians has been reminding us. In fact, the early church unabashedly claimed that the first witness of the risen Jesus was not one of the twelve disciples, was not a priest or a governor, was not even a man. The first witness who got the whole ball rolling was a woman, Mary Magdalene, being the chief saint among them. Every New Testament gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, makes this point. 
The first Christians never hid the irony. And isn't it a great irony that the one whose voice would not have been acceptable in the court of law was in fact the voice we should most pay attention to in the court of life. I have seen the Lord. And people like us from that morning in the garden on have hinged life and eternity on her word. Brian Bourne, who's the president of Columbia Bible College in Abbotsford, tells this great story of his time when they're missionaries in Botswana in South Africa, in, in Southern Africa. He said, in Botswana on Easter morning, it was always the women who preached the message on Easter Sunday. Perhaps we should have done that this morning because the women were the first ones to declare that Jesus was alive. And so let the voice of the women take the lead right now. Girls, women, right where you are, turn to the boys or the men around you and say it. He is risen. Say it to them right now. Say it to them. He is risen. Sisters in Christ, if you have my cell phone number, text me right now. I want to hear my phone ring. He is risen from the sisters, my sisters in Christ. I've got four girls at home. I should at least get one text from home. He is risen. Sisters, daughters, uh, girls and women take the lead in this. In a stunningly upside down way, God actually dared the first, Chris, the first century world not to believe the resurrection. Do you catch that? God actually dared the first century world not to believe the resurrection. God gives every cultural reason to say it's a hoax. But the testimony of scripture is that the one with a sketchy past whose voice would have been dismissed, who saw the body taken down, the stone rolled in place, whose hopes were shattered when she came running for the second time that morning. This is the second time she comes running. Thanks, I'm getting some of the he has risen. Awesome, thank you very much. When she comes running, I have seen the Lord. When she comes running, people should listen. Are you? Are you? Or do you dismiss her too? Mary was clearly, this is the other thing that's phenomenal. Larry, or Larry, <laughs> that's a bad one. Mary, L-M, Mary was clearly not looking for Jesus. This is the great surprise. He stood in front of her and she thought it was the gardener. She only recognized him when he called her name. The same voice that had delivered her from her past, that she heard teach about the kingdom of heaven, the same voice called again, Mary. His voice lifts her from isolated despair and seats her in the heavenly place and sends her with a glorious message. The resurrected Jesus meets the unlikely one first and makes her the first champion of the new humanity. This was the most unlikely way to begin a movement. And yet here we are this morning doing this this way, declaring to the world, he is risen. Wow, look at all those. That is so awesome. Thank you. From our isolations, we are the echoes of Mary running from the garden. And so my friends, on this resurrection day, 
What is your isolation revealing? What seems hopeless or confusing or without answers? Do you need to know your past, your present can be forgiven? Are you without hope and without God in the world? Do you need someone to burst into your isolation with good news? Do you need to hear him call your name? Well, Mary, John, Drew, Alice, Tirza, Glenn, Brigida, Daryl, Dermot, Theo, Grace, Josie, Anna, Ray, Joyce, Lucy, Joe, Hannah, Kyle, Kira, Kendra, Levi, Sandy, Laura, Wilf, Henry, Ruth, Mike, Basil, Tammy, Annie, Heidi, Ross, Aaron, Aaron, Amy, April, Alyssa, Brenda, Brian, Sharice, Howard, Johanna, Elijah, Sadie, Mady, Maddie, Mila, and yes, you too, David, David, and David Weens. The Lord is risen. It became a tradition for Christians to continue Mary's refrain on Easter morning. He is risen. And on this Easter in isolation, watch this. He is risen. 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 He is risen indeed. Isolation is not the end. The same power that raised Christ from the dead picks us up and seats us as saints, chosen and adopted heirs of all God's promises and members of the church, the ecclesia, the household of God. The resurrecting power of God is not contained by garden tombs, by your guilt, shame, or fear, or by these unsettling times. The Holy One took your place. He who knew no sin became sin. He was the sacrifice for sin once for all. He finished it, and he lives, and he calls our names and he saves and he sends. I want to invite you to close your eyes right where you are. Kids, you too. You have to put your hands over your eyes because kids' eyes want to pop open really easy. I know that. So cover your eyes, close your eyes. Imagine with me now, with your eyes closed, imagine with me that scene in the garden where Mary crumbled in tears. What does she look like? And now look for the gardener. What happens when Jesus speaks her name? And now put yourself in the story. Put yourself in Mary's place. What happens to your isolation when you hear him call your name?